Welcome to Trinity Dallas. We pray that this message will be a source of encouragement and hope in your life today. Enjoy today's message. All right, fantastic. Good to see everyone here today. Thank you that you're here. We got a little something special this morning. We're going to give you a recap of our time in Israel. And uh, we're going to do that for about the first uh, 10, 15 minutes of the service. And then I'm going to be preaching from Philippians chapter 2 today. But we had a phenomenal time in Israel. We, Nancy and I, led a team of 27. And uh, I tell you, just uh, the opportunity to go back again, this was my sixth time to go. Uh, it, you just see something new every time. The Lord speaks to you something fresh every time. And there's several reasons why I think it's so great to go to Israel. One is it will propel you into a new level of your spiritual life. Uh, your Bible will begin to come alive. You begin to see things and how things fit together, the distances, the, the uh, terrain, the, the, um, just the closeness of things. And so individually, it's a big deal. If you're married, it's a wonderful time for you and your spouse to have an amazing shared experience. And, uh, and, and for those of you that are not married, it's a great time to have a shared experience with friends. There's something special about sharing special moments together and uh, to be together for eight, nine, ten days. You would think you'd get tired of one another, but your love just grows for each other. And, uh, and it's just a lot of, lot of, uh, lot of joy. And then finally, the last reason is, is because all of us come back from Israel with a desire to be stronger, happier, more fulfilled Christians here. And, uh, and I just, that to me is the greatest part of the trip because I get a chance to, for a whole week to be with people that I love and to receive and to share with them and to come back and think, wow, this is an opportunity for us to be together so that when we get home, we can be stronger together, right? Yeah, fantastic. And so I want you to meet uh, our panelists here, uh, Tommy and Letty DeWaugh are on the end with us. And Tommy and Letty, we love you guys. Thank you for doing this. And Daniel and Christine Twido. And so, yeah. And so, um, anyway, who wants to start this morning? Tommy looks pretty good. Prepared, Thank you, Tommy. <laughs> Tommy, the, the clock is running. Go ahead. That's right. So uh, when Pastor Joe asked us to kind of define our transformation just from getting back from Israel, it was, you know, quite defining, but also a little bit difficult because there was just so many highlights during that trip. And so I had to really dig deep, but also ask the Holy Spirit to reveal uh, some of those moments for me. Um, and I had to really write some of them down. Otherwise, I'll just keep on and on and on. Uh, but... We visited about 23 sites, if you can imagine, in those 10 days, um, and more, actually. And those 10, 23 sites were just, one after another, were just significant um, in our growth uh, with the Lord, but also in, in our walk of life, right? But every day, it was just getting better and better. Um, and so, it, whether it was Cesario or Capernaum or um, Mount Carmel, it didn't really matter. But for me, you know, the Sea of Galilee really spoke to me, because it was... a a, a site where you can, you can still feel the remnants of Christ. Like, we were able to worship, we were able to pray, we were able to just journal um, in, in, in that moment. And inside that boat was just really magical without tricks, if you know what I mean. Because it's, it's really the presence of God that was with us during that time. And then, but, but also, it really, 
it, it dawned on me also, aside from the trip, Israel is so diverse in terms of the people there. And I had to look it up. And it, it's like there's, there's 73.6 Jewish, 18.1 .1 Muslim, 1.9 Christian, 1.6 Druze. And among those Christians, there were about 10 separate sectors of Christianity. So just, just imagine that breakdown of people there. And I, I was thinking to myself, naturally, yeah, obviously I feel the awe of Sea of Galilee, but more importantly, the people that we were with, there were 27, I think, of us. And every single person, the first day we knew them here inside the church, you know, our standard, you know, how are you doing, 30 seconds, say hello and say goodbye. But after this trip, the, the last day of that trip, we all became friends, like best friends, you know, with one another because of that bond that we formed. And so kind of connect that with the people of Israel. Again, so many different people. I think our job coming back here, that my takeaway is that it comes back to, you know, from the, the gospel uh, of Philippians 1.27 about living in harmony. It says, live your life worthy of the gospel of the Christ, standing in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. So reading the Bible daily is for sure phenomenal, right? Doing that, but now more than ever, reading the Bible now has been transformational and really reshaped my mind. It's incredible. Fantastic. Yes, Daniel, won't you uh, pick up? Yeah, I didn't prepare uh, a lot of notes like Tommy, so um, <laughs> it's hard to come up with one thing. Um, hang, hang on, can I just tell everybody? Oh boy. This is a PK right here. This is a preacher's kid. Grew up on the front row of the church. And, but Lutheran, right? Yeah, don't hold that against me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so um, it's hard to come up with just one thing because, um, like Tommy alluded to, you know, at the end, um, there are just so many transformational experiences while you're out there. So, you know, each experience in each moment um, was different for each person on the trip. You know, throughout the whole time, the Lord was moving. Um, you know, you felt the Holy Spirit at different times. Personally, you could feel it in the room. You know, um, you could see other people experiencing the Holy Spirit. So it was, it was really powerful at different times for different people. And, and so, you know, talking about the renewing of your mind um, daily and reading scripture, but this trip was like a 13-day, you know, boot camp on renewing your mind, and you're walking in uh, historical places, and, and um, you know, there's probably two things, I mean, a lot of things, but two things that were uh, major highlights that I think can apply to everybody, and if you're considering going to Israel, I would uh, highly encourage you. Um, and the one is, you know, if you go to college, and, um, or high school or, or whatever, and, uh, and, you, and you meet a best friend, or you meet a friend, and you guys start to create a relationship and a bond, you can get to know that person, but uh, it's really only until you go back to their home and where they grew up that you can really understand them. You know, you go back to their home, you see their family, you meet their cousins and brothers and sisters, and. Uh, all their friends, and, and it starts to like really make sense. You know, like, man, well, I, okay, now I know why you do the things that you do. And, um, and so walking in the Holy Land and going to Israel was, was a very similar experience. You know, you're, you're walking in the same footsteps that Jesus Christ walked, and you're getting to experience a lot of the things that, that he would have experienced um, 2,000 years ago. So, you know, it's like, you know, going to somebody's hometown and really going like, wow, okay, this is where Jesus came from and this is where he grew up and the community he was in and, and the people um, that he was with. 
and he was trying to you know, convert and, and also all the apostles. Um, and then the, the second one that I think really spoke to me personally was when we went to uh, Caesarea. And um, so we went to a theater and it was the theater that uh, Paul gave an account So, <clears throat> sorry, Paul had an opportunity while he was on trial to say anything he wanted to. I mean, he was talking in front of Jews. He was talking in front of the Romans. He was talking in front of, you know, these people had the authority to sentence him to death, to end his life in that moment. And, and so, you know, he had probably so many things running through his mind and he said, you know, uh, you know, he probably lifted up a prayer and he asked the Lord to use him. And, you know, he could have, he, he could have, he could have quoted Old Testament scripture, which, which would have spoken to the Jewish people who, who had memorized it, read it, were living, you know, the law nonstop. And, but he thought, what an opportunity I have. I get a chance to um, proclaim the gospel. And the thing that he spoke was um, his testimony. And I thought that was so powerful because, you know, just like Pastor Matthew had mentioned, you know, Jesus tapped each one of us on the shoulder and we turned around and he invited us. And not only invited us, but he chased after us. And, uh, you know, we, we all have that story of how Jesus, <clears throat> you know, personally came and whether you knew it in the moment or you look back five or 10 years later and go, went, oh, wow, look at, you know, Jesus was there the whole time. I can't believe, you know, how faithful he is to me while I was doing whatever. Um, and so it was, it was um, really powerful to see that in that moment, Paul had an opportunity to do and talk about so many other things, but he spoke about his testimony, which was, you know, I was a Roman. I was Saul. I persecuted the Christians harder than any of you. Trust me, I was the one, you know, just like you persecuting the Christians, and I was doing a great job, but I was the best at it. And then, you know, this is what Christ did for me and how it completely transformed my life, and this is who I am today, a new creation. And so that was so powerful to me because I thought, wow, you know, we all have a testimony to share, like something personal that you can share. You don't have to necessarily memorize the entire scripture. All you have to speak about is your own personal experience and relationship with Christ. Like, what did he do for you? And so that was, you know, probably one of the major takeaways, um, and you know, 20 minutes is not enough to cover it all, but um, there was a lot, so. Fantastic, Daniel. Yeah, come on. Christine? Christine, why don't you, yeah. Oh, okay. Hello. Um, I would say the big, like, and I would just repeat what they both said. There's no way to kind of explain what happened to each one of us while we were over there. Um, and just like Pastor uh, Joe was saying, like we came back friends, we didn't wanna leave each other. There were so many tears, like the, I landed off the plane and the group chat was blowing up. Like we were not ready to be done with each other. We just wanted to stay in that moment. And I think that was kind of my, one of my biggest takeaways is we don't have to be in Israel to be in that environment. And it's so hard sometimes in our daily lives to get that here. And it's like, but we can find ways to remove ourselves and just be with our community here and be in the Holy Spirit and see the way that he's moving and healing people. And I mean, the things that he did for people 
are things that I feel like when I speak, some people are like, did that really happen? And I'm like, yeah, that really happened. Um, Sandy hiked 111 steps after being on crutches for years. Like this is, these are just things that um, only God can really do. And we don't have to be in Israel to see that happen though. Um, and so I think that that was something for me. And, and I just say, you know, on a, on a personal note, you know, j- j- so Joe actually convinced me to go. I originally was just gonna send my husband and he was like, you can't, you know, you can't just send one and not do the other. Like if you, if you have a spouse, like this is just something that you need to experience together because you're just not gonna be able to explain it on the other side. Um, and I would see even for us, like the healing and the communication and the empowerment that it's even had on our relationship has been monumental in our marriage so far. And so I would just say an encouraging note from that perspective as well, if it's something you're thinking about, text us, call us, we'll go out to lunch with y'all and and explain kind of in a little bit what it's done for us and maybe what it could potentially also do for you. Um, But yeah, I would say Sea of Galilee was the most powerful spot for me. And then on the second part of that would be sitting in the prison that Jesus was held in. Um, and seeing the games on the ground where they used to play dice over who got to beat him next. And that, for me, was the most humbling moment of my life mm. and um, the most convicting moment of my life as well. Mm. And so, yeah, I would just say, you don't have to go all the way there to feel that, though. And I, I know now when I read the Bible, I'm reading it like one sentence at a time because it just has a whole new meaning to me than it did before. Um, but yeah, so that'd be my takeaway is, is you can have that here. You don't have to go there to sure. have that, but it's finding the space and realizing that in the end, so much of not creating that space are out of my own excuses um, versus, versus not having the time to do it. Mm. Great, Christine. Thank you. Awesome. So ditto, ditto, ditto to all of you in first service as well. We cannot pinpoint one thing, but um, every site from day one to day 10 of the tour, right? You know, we go to the site, Ronnie, our tour guide, was there to kind of give us the history of it. We learned a lot about King Herod and the architecture and just seeing... um, the marvels that they built and with the resources they had, your jaw drops. So that's everywhere you go. Then you have Pastor Joe giving, uh, teaching us, right? Giving us the teaching. Um, The scripture, reading scripture, we pray, we reflect. Um, Cameron and Caitlin, they were leading worship, so we got to do worship at several places. Sea of Galilee on the boat, it was just so powerful. Um, at, diff- at the garden tomb, at different churches, you know, just the worshiping was extremely powerful. You just felt the Holy Spirit so strong. Um, then at the end of uh, Pastor Joe doing the teaching, he gave each of us, you know, the opportunity to share or also do a teaching. And that was also very powerful because during those teachings, a lot of breakthrough happened. And those breakthroughs brought all 27 of us plus the tour guide. So it was about 30 of us, was it? Just brought us so close together. And we bonded so deeply because we were just there and vulnerable and open. And, um, you know, Uncle, well, we have a new uncle. His name is Barry. 
Um, <laughs> we have a brother and sister from South Africa, Alex and Nadia, who we met on the trip. They also joined the trip, and um, Marco from Austin, also South African. So, you know, not only do we have our C3 family that we became extremely close to, we also have our South African friends that we became very close with. And um, she, anyway, amazing people. But what was, where was I going with that? I think I was saying um, just every place that you went to, you just got to, oh, Covenant. Uncle Barry shared, you know, after we got back, he sent us a, a message and he said his takeaway word was Covenant for this trip, right? Because we, um, we were able to renew our covenant with Christ. Um, and also there was a renewal of vows that happened on Mount of Olives. And then we had an engagement, Mark and Kimmy, yay, we have a wedding coming, that happened on the very last day, and everyone was just in tears and happy and screaming, excited, hugging. I mean, it was, we were one big family, and we did not want to leave each other. But going back to, like, the most transformational uh, moments, you know, being in the Sea of Galilee, uh, being in the places where a lot of Jesus' miracles that are recorded occurred, and then going to Jerusalem from the uh, Via Dolorosa where Jesus, uh, where he, the road that he walked where he was, all that was happening, uh, to Calvary, and then um, the garden tomb, and just seeing the empty tomb, and knowing that, you know what? He's alive and he's alive in me. And because of that, I am here. And I get to share the good news. And I, uh, it's just very, I don't know, words cannot explain what that does to you. And, and we even uh, took communion there. Yeah, that was so powerful. Um, Sandy, you know, walking a mile. Have you guys, you've heard of Masada? It's a desert. Fortress. Fortress. <laughs> A mile up high, Handy. Sandy had been wearing crutches, and she she hiked it. And at, at the end, she threw her crutches, and she didn't even bring them back home with her. Like, it was just a miracle. Um, it, it, I could go on and on and on and on, uh, but we're on a time limit, so. Thank you, Letty. Yeah. Thank you, all of you. Let's give them all a big hand. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Fantastic. You know, uh, I just want to give a report from Israel. There are two competing spots that uh, uh, are traditional for Jesus' burial. One is the, in the place called the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. It was a church built in sometimes in the fourth century. And uh, it's there that eight different um, traditions of the church uh, have custody over the whole church. It's a place where the church covers what they think was Calvary and also the cave where Jesus was buried. It's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, a very famous church and the most holy of all the Christian sites. There is another place called the Garden Tomb. And the Garden Tomb is much more simpler. Uh, and it has a, a tomb with a stone rolled away. It's in a place called Golgotha, where there was an imprint of a skull on a rock face. And so 
it's a, it's a pretty interesting spot. The reason I say all this is to say this, I inspected again both of those tombs and I found that they're both empty. And so Jesus is alive, amen. Yeah, amen. Thank you, all two of you, for encouraging me on that. Last week, we talked about Philippians chapter 1, and I'm going to do Philippians chapter 2 in 20 minutes. Are you ready? Do you have your Bible? Will you open it up, please? Paul is writing to the church in Philippi from a prison cell in Rome. It was during his first imprisonment, and Philippi is the first church that was established in Europe. It is also the oldest church in all of Europe. And so Paul loved this church. He was deeply encouraged by the church, by their friendship, by their generosity. And we found out last week from Pastor Derek that not only does the Lord order your steps, but the Lord also orders your stops. And, uh, and so Paul was stopped during his ministry. And during that time of being stopped, the Lord gave him a vision, changed his course, because he saw in a vision a man from Macedonia who was standing and saying, come over and help us, come over and help us. So here right behind me is a map of Paul's second missionary journey. You'll be able to see it right here behind me. He began the journey in Jerusalem up through Syria, Antioch on the far right side, into Derby, Lystra, Iconia. His desire was to go back and look at all the churches that they'd already established in Asia. That's what he wanted to do. Sometimes you have things you want to do, right? And this is something he wanted to do, a very spiritual thing, very good thing to do. And so he wanted to go up and check on all the church. When he, but when he gets up there, the Lord shuts every door. So he's perplexed. So he ends up in a place called Troas, right over there, Troas. And it is about as far as you can go in Asia to the, to the west. And so there he is in Troas, and there he gets a, a vision of a man in Macedonia. So just go right across the Aegean Sea over there to Philippi. That's Europe. That's Macedonia. And so his first stop is Philippi. You can read all this uh, in, in, uh, at, in Acts, but I'll just read a little bit for you. Uh, from there to Philippi he went which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And this is from Acts 16. And we were staying in that city for some days. So he arrived in Philippi. He found a place to stay. They had been there for a few days. Verse 13 says, And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. This is such a cultural taboo. <laughs> to go out to the riverside where these women are working and to sit down and have a conversation with them. But as D uh, Derek said last week, uh, God sent Paul all the way over into Europe to meet with a women's small group. And there he was meeting with them. Verse 14 says, there was a certain woman there named Lydia. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us to stay with her. Now, here's what I want to point out to you. Not only was this a woman's small group, prayer group, out praying by the riverside, but this woman, Lydia, it, it turns out she's going to be very instrumental for the evangelization of Europe. 
she is not just some lady on the river there. She is a very wealthy woman. Now, how do we know as well? The Bible didn't come out and say she was wealthy, but hey, she was a purveyor and a manufacturer of fine purple fabric. Who uses purple fabric? Dignitaries and rich people. She was the one who was producing the fabrics, and it was a very famous area for producing those fabrics, and she was producing those fabrics with her entourage, with her household. How do I know she's rich? Because she was able to invite Paul and all of his entourage that came with him to stay in her house, to stay in her house. So she had a big house, right? She didn't have some little small hovel somewhere, but she had a big house. So this is a rich woman. Now, here's what you're going to see when you examine the New Testament, particularly the Gospels and the Book of Acts. You're going to see that God used a lot of wealthy women, powerful women, women who were uh, at the upper realms of government in the Roman Empire. And so, uh, so it's amazing. Uh, it, think about the women who ministered to Jesus and who traveled with him. And so, so women play a very prominent part in the New Testament. And the reason I say that is to debunk the whole idea that women are secondary in the church or in the kingdom. That's, that's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Let me tell you, if you're a woman here, you can do everything that Pastor Joe can do. Let me just say that to you right there. Well, not everything, but everything in the church you can do. In this book, the word joy or rejoicing appears 19 times in this letter as Paul's overflowing with the emotion that he has. Rome, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, he's writing, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love according to one accord and of one mind. Now, I want you to notice here, what we're talking about is a mindset. And this is what Paul is writing about. He's saying, hey, I want you to fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Like-minded for what? By having consolation, comfort, mercy, care, love, fellowship in the Spirit, affection and mercy for one another. I want you to all be like-minded in that. So he says, you'll fulfill my You'll make me happy by continuing this and being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. So he's beginning now to lay out what a kingdom mindset looks like. And one, we found out last week that a kingdom mindset is the mindset of joy. But today we're going to find out it is also a mindset of humility, of humility. And, and so we find here this, uh, G, uh, Paul telling the Philippians, I want you to be like-minded about this. And the NIV, NIV says it really great. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any common sharing in the Spirit, if there's any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. I want you to be that person, right, who has a common sharing in the Spirit, who has comfort, been comforted by his love, who's tender, compassionate. Then you become like-minded in that, and that's really important to have the mindset of these things, right? And so verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each of you esteem others better than himself. Again, we're talking about a mindset. And Paul's saying that one of the elements of that mindset is having a lowliness of mind, not thinking so highly of yourself, not thinking so great of yourself, right? 
He said, don't let the things that you do be done through selfish ambition or being conceited. What is being conceited? Looking down upon others, thinking down upon others. You know, it's not about their, their socioeconomic uh, place because Paul had all kinds of folks in the church. He had a jailer in the church. He had prisoners in the church. He had this woman from Thyatira in the church. They were all in the church. He's saying, saying, so be of one mind. Don't divide up based on social, economic, or even uh, being whether you're a gender, whether you're man or woman. Just stay, stay like-minded in God's love. And, and don't, don't be a person who's ambitious selfishly or conceited, uh, but esteem others more highly than yourself. How do you keep from being conceited? Look at people around you that you see, can touch, can talk to, and think of them more highly than yourself. Good. Think of them more highly than yourself. I, I, I know uh, the quote escapes me now, but one of the great entrepreneurs of the 20th century said that the key to his success was that every person he met, he considered to be greater than he was. <laughs> every person that he met. And, and so, so don't let your selfish ambition or your conceit get away from you. But verse 4 says, so let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And so this is how we have this mindset. This is, how, this is what it looks like. This is what it uh, turns out to be, is these first four verses. And I think these first four verses are really the meat of what Paul is trying to accomplish in this whole chapter, what he's trying to say in this whole chapter. And that is that, hey, be humble. Be humble and look out for others, how you can serve them, how you can help them, how you can uh, uh, come up under them, and, and, uh, and, and let that mind uh, be, that mindset be, uh, be in you. Verse 5 says, in talking about the, fir the first four verses, let this mind be in you. Why? Because it was also in Christ Jesus. The same mind that I'm telling you about now that you're practicing, that was the mindset. This is not something we decided here just kind of locally that we're going to have this kind. This is following Jesus. This is following Jesus. So let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, he said, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So here's the question I'm asking you, and I'm talking to the person next to you, I'm talking to you. Where's your mindset this morning? What do you have your mindset on this morning? You know, it's, it's, like, uh, it's like the country song, I was always on my mind. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, uh, isn't, that, isn't that what it says? Something like that, right? And so, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, that is a mindset that is on the spirit, a mindset that's not on the flesh. Romans 12, be of the same mind toward one another. Don't set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Don't be wise in your own opinion, right? In Colossians chapter 3, next week we'll cover this, but verse one, 2 says, set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. And so this is how we keep from living in selfish ambition. This is how we keep from living and being conceited. It set our mind on high things, right? Not on the flesh, but on the spirit. And that we 
follow Jesus. This is, what, this is how Jesus did it. And now he's going to explain that in verse 6. Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God. He's the co-equal with God the Father, right? God the Spirit. But he made himself of no reputation. This is what you find out in Israel. I mean, how in the world could God raise up the Savior of the world in this kind of armpit of the world? And, and so he made himself of no reputation. He was born to a teenage mother. The first two years of their life, they were on the run. They went down to Egypt. They were fugitives of the law. So God entrusted his most precious possession to a teenage mom who was running from the law, right? So that's why Paul says, uh, the scriptures say, look, don't think so highly of yourself because this book is full right here. It's full of people that shouldn't have been promoted. They were promoted. Full of people that shouldn't have been used. They were used. Full of people like me and you that made so many mistakes in life think, how could God ever use us? You're a candidate if you just can come to that conclusion. Right? Okay. But he made himself of no reputation. Verse 8, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So therefore God also highly exalted him, gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So Jesus humbled himself. He became in appearance as a man, yet he lived here on earth with no sin, with no sin. And not only that, but he became obedient to death. Even the death of a torturous crucifixion, he obeyed. He didn't deserve it. He didn't do anything to have to come to him, but he willingly obeyed. And in willingly obeyed, he humbled himself. He took what you and I should have took. He took on his back so that we might have everlasting life. Jesus Jesus did that, and as a result, God highly exalted him. And today, he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Now, I'm here to tell you that that garden tomb is empty, that the tomb at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is empty, and that whatever other tomb anybody wants to think about, they're empty too, because Jesus is alive. He came out of that tomb, and he's alive. And the same spirit that brought, resurrected Jesus' life, uh, Christ from the dead, that same spirit lives in you. That same spirit lives in you. There is no hindrance to what God wants to do through you except you. So it's time to start saying, I know I messed up. I know I could have done better. I know I should have done better. I wished I hadn't done this. I wished I hadn't done that. You can say all that. Just get all that out of your system because you are a candidate to be used mightily for God. He does crazy things with crazy people. He's amazing. Therefore, verse 12 says, My beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, then work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. This verse has given a lot of immature Christians a really hard time because here's what they say. You have to earn your uh, salvation because here's what it says. He says, he says, he says, walk out. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I guess that means I have to work for it. No, that does not mean. Here, let me tell you something. Salvation 
is by grace and grace alone. It is a free gift from God the Father. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, that's the truth? Now, let me tell you, the next step is salvation is free, but if you're going to walk with God, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost Jesus big time for us. Jesus paid the price, no question about it, but the cost that we have is giving up all of our selfish ambition, all of our conceit, giving away all of our rights to our rights so that we can live as servants, bond servants to Jesus Christ. And we can be ambassadors for his kingdom. And so I love the NLT. It says, as dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was there. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. And so Paul's writing here. He's saying, look, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Another way to say that is work hard to show that you're saved. Let the fruit of your salvation come from you. Let somebody look at your life and say, whoa, Tommy Dewa is saved. Let somebody look at your life and say, man, they're living like a Christian. And, and so, so that, let me tell you something. I don't know about you. That's hard work for me. I, I, would, I like being a Christian when I'm preaching, but when I get out, I don't like being Christian very much anymore. <laughs> Sometimes. It's hard. It's hard to love people. It's hard to love people. But that's what we've been called to do. That's what we've been called to do. And so we want to work hard to show the results of our salvation, right? We want to do all things without complaining, disrupting. These are all fruit of a mindset, a mindset of humility. A mindset of humility does all things without complaining and disputing. A mindset of humility looking forward to becoming blameless and harmless. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You hold fast to the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. Why? So they won't look at your life and say, Paul wasted his life messing with you. Yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, that's code for if I'm dying, if I'm at the end here, on the sacrifice and service of your faith. In other words, I'm being poured out in such a way that it, that it benefits you, your faith. Watch this now. He said, then I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. And for the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul here is writing this 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. We just read those passages. This is what the fruit of a yielded life looks like. This is what the fruit of a mindset of humility looks like. This is what it looks like. Sometimes we think, if I'm going to be humble, well, I just stay at home, don't bother anybody. No. Bother somebody. Just bother them the right way. Right? Just bother them the right way. In verse 19 through 24, Paul commends his spiritual son, Timothy. Verse 22 says, You know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore... I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. There's more code right there. As soon as I see how it goes with me, if I'm alive or not. That's, right. That's what he's saying. 
Okay. And so he says, as soon as I see with me, but I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Then the last piece of this chapter deals with a guy named Epaphroditus. Say that five times with crackers in your mouth. Epaphroditus. Now, it sounds like some kind of sickness, doesn't it? But it's not. Epaphroditus was a guy who was, watch, read, you read all about him here. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Now watch how he describes him. This is how you and I want to be described. He's my brother. He's my brother. Number two, he's my fellow worker. He's been right beside me in the line. Number three, he's my fellow soldier. Right? But he's your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. This is the guy the Philippi church in Philippi sent to Rome to take Paul a gift. This is your messenger. He's my fellow worker. He's my fellow soldier. He's my brother. But he's the one that you hired, you display, you got it to help me, to encourage me. And since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you'd heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick, almost unto death, but God had mercy upon him, and not only him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Epaphroditus was doing a good thing for the church in Philippi, doing a good thing for Paul, and nearly died from sickness. But God had mercy upon him. And not only him, but God healed me too, Paul said. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. What does it mean to be held in esteem? It means to be honored, respected, admired. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his own life, to supply what was lacking in your service to, toward me. So Paul commends Timothy, right? And he honors Epaphroditus. Yeah, last two things. You know why he did that in this chapter? Why we're talking about it right now? Because that's the fruit of a kingdom mindset. To commend, to honor, to adore, to esteem. This is not the mindset of people from Dallas, Texas. People from Dallas, Texas, yours truly included, are proud, independent, self-starters, self-made people, we think, right? We'll give you a chance, but if you don't do good, we're going to kick you out of the way because we're going to keep going, right? That's not a kingdom mindset. I don't know of another place in the world that has a professional sports franchise that says five-time world champion on the sign that goes to their practice facility. The point of all that is they never played anybody in the world before, but they made themselves five-time world champion. It's just crazy. <laughs> crazy. Kingdom mindset is a mindset of humility. It unifies us. The joy makes us, unifies us. Keep an attitude of joy. Keep a spirit of joy. 
but it's humility that's the bond that bonds us together, keeps us together. It's us thinking more highly of someone else than we do of our own self. It unifies us. Here's some of the elements of a kingdom mindset, and I'll be done. Number one is like-mindedness. Number one is like-mindedness. Independent thinking is fine if it leads you to like-mindedness. That's the truth. Because like-mindedness is kingdom. Come into the same thought world. Come into the same mindfulness world. What's important to us, the values that we share, and setting our mind on those things. Like-mindedness. Number two, looking out for others is a part of the kingdom mindset. Not just thinking about ourselves. Some people love to think about themselves. I'm just telling you, that's not kingdom. Thinking about others. Number three, following the example of Jesus. Seems like every time you preach, you can get down to that one, right? Hey, he told Peter, Peter, you don't worry about what I do with John. You just follow me. Number four, you got to let your light shine. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. Why don't we just cut those few words out of our Bible, put it on our refrigerator and say, today I'm going to try that. Today I'm going to try that. Let your light shine. How do you let your light shine? Stop grumbling, stop complaining. Stop thinking about yourself. Stop thinking about your problems. Stop thinking about your challenges and esteem others, particularly other leaders. We're the worst on esteeming leaders. We think we know everything. Let me tell you something. If you were in the same shoes as some of our leaders, you might be making the same decisions that they're making. Because you don't know the whole story. So what does the Bible instruct us to do? To pray for them. Rather than have an opinion, why don't we just start praying for them? I don't know if you got this yet or not, but I'm correcting you. Do you get this? Right, right. Well, that's not very nice. <laughs> Number five, esteem, respect, and commend our leaders. Starting with Paul, going to his son in the Lord, Timothy. And finally, the person who becomes the bishop of the church at Philippi, Epaphroditus. Esteem them, honor them, admire them for the work's sake. The Bible says Epaphras almost died in completing what he was bringing. Let's all stand together. Okay, 27 minutes. We're going to pray a prayer together, okay? Now look, you can listen to me and then I'll go over it again if you want me to because you might decide you might not want to pray this prayer. Or you can pray with me, okay? Get the surprise, right? Put your hand on your heart and just say this with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me for being conceited, for looking down on others, for thinking only about myself. And today, I choose to think about others, to esteem those who lead us, And to do my work work. without grumbling or or complaining.
In Jesus' name. Amen. That's what Philippians 2 is all about. Amen. Give somebody a high five. Give them a hug. Give them, give them a handshake. Love them and I'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in today. If you'd like to dive deeper into today's message, go to trinitydallas.com forward slash sermons to receive your copy of the notes. If today's message encouraged you, do someone else a favor and share it with them. Also be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. A special shout out to all those who partner with us through their giving. Your contributions have enabled us to touch the lives of people in our community, as well as around the globe. Visit us at trinitydallas.com forward slash give to partner with what God is doing through Trinity Dallas.